Welcome to the audio sermons of South Baton Rouge Presbyterian Church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We hope you are encouraged by listening. For more information, please feel free to browse our site at www.sbrpc.org. We come to Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 48, and here Jesus calls his followers to an extraordinary love. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For He makes His Son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends His rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever and ever. Let's go before him now and ask for his help. Almighty God, this is your word and we thank you for your Apostle Matthew, who recorded for us Jesus' very words. And as we come before this Word, we, we all come from different places. Uh, some of us show up here this morning and we're anxious about any number of things. Uh, some of us are hurting very, very deeply. Others of us um, so excited to be here that at this particular time in Our lives feel like we've never been closer to you, and still there are others who feel very far from you. There are those who are convinced of the truth of the gospel and those who are doubting its veracity. Um, Father, we pray that however we come this morning, and there's a million other ways we might come, um, but we pray that you would reveal to us today that We really are all the same because everyone in this room is far more broken and sinful than we could ever imagine. But at the same time, because of the person and work of Jesus, we can also be far more loved and accepted and delighted in than we could have ever dared dream was possible. And so, Father, we pray today as we study Your Word that You would lead us to Jesus, in whose name we do pray. Amen. 
A few years ago, one of my favorite bands, U2, um, I know many of you know that, I've referenced them before, um, and very predictable, I get it. Uh, white male, 40 plus years old, uh, middle class, uh, yeah, that's who we like, U2. But anyway, they put out, a, a couple of years ago, they put out this catchy little song called Ordinary Love. Um, I don't know, maybe you heard it on the radio, maybe not, but here in Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 48, Jesus is calling his followers far beyond ordinary love and quite literally to extraordinary love. So, you know, down in verses 46 through 47, Jesus basically said, if you love those who love you, I mean, everyone does that, right? That's what everyone does. That's ordinary love. But then he asked his followers this question, we read it, what more are you doing than others? And here's the thing, that word that's translated more, it's the Greek word parason. And that word literally means extraordinary. It's kind of hard to translate it word for word to make it smooth, which is why the translation reads, what more are you doing than others? But but here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying it is ordinary for you to love those who love you back. Everyone does that. But what are you doing that is extraordinary compared to everyone else? How are you loving beyond what's ordinary? You know, these verses have been called simultaneously the most admired and the most resented in the whole of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. They're admirable because this extraordinary love that Jesus is talking about, they describe something that is incredibly lofty and inspirational and countercultural and otherworldly in its ethic. right? But these verses are also resented because people look at these verses and it seems too lofty. It seems unrealistic and unfit, right, for a broken, messy, and harsh world like ours. Um, And in fact, that criticism might resonate with some of you today. Um, And that would make sense. But what I want you to do for a moment is to maybe suspend your judgment and just ask yourself today, what if... I mean, what if extraordinary love, like is being described in this passage, was actually real and actually existed? And what if you could be set free in your life with so much joy that more and more you would become someone who loves extraordinarily, right? And maybe that's exactly what a broken, messy, harsh, and hard world needs. And maybe the only hope for the world really is extraordinary love. So I want to talk about this extraordinary love like this. Uh, First, this extraordinary love is a call to repay evil with good. And then second, it's a call to indiscriminately 
show grace. And then third and finally, I, I want us to talk about how we can answer Jesus' call to extraordinary love in our lives. I know those points are a mouthful, so I'll just repeat them as we go. But um, first, extraordinary love's call to repay evil with good. And we'll talk about this from verses 38 through 42. Jesus began, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And he's referring to what um, is termed in Latin as the lex talionis, right? Um, It's this unique principle of judgment that came into the ancient world that prescribed a way for civil authorities to enforce and enact justice and also at the same time restrain vengeance. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Punishment that fit the crime exactly and put an end to an ever-increasing cycle of violence and vengeance. So for example, this would have been common. And you can even read about uh, examples like this in the Old Testament. If you killed your neighbor's cow, right, the law said you owe him a cow is what you owe him. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, right? The exact equivalent. And what it restrained was someone, from, was someone saying, will you kill my cow? Well, I'm going to take your cow and I'm going to burn your farm to the ground, Right? And it was this excellent principle of justice for society and for government. But by Jesus' time, the principle had been taken out of the context of government and it was being applied to the context of interpersonal relationships. And it was being used without restraint, right, to get even for personal offenses. Right, I'm going to get what's fair for me. I'm going to get even. I'm going to get what's due to me. I have the right to pay you back for what you did to me. And into that context, Jesus said, I am calling you to an extraordinary love to lay down your rights even against someone who is evil. even against someone who is evil, right? And to repay that evil with good. See, Jesus, and let me just say this. Jesus wasn't saying no more courtroom justice, right? He wasn't saying no more armed forces or police police that enforce justice. The Bible is especially clear that God has given the state the power of the sword to do just that. And we can talk about that later if you want. But here, Jesus was talking about how we treat one another as individuals in our interpersonal relationships. The people you do life with, the people you do business with, friends of yours, acquaintances of yours, co-workers, competitors, people in this city you don't get along with, people who are unlike you, the moms in your kid's class, right? the other students in your grade, right? All the people out there who are capable of hurting you and stabbing you in the back and injuring you. And though nearly every author 
on these verses uses these words passive resistance when you come to these verses, and they're not bad words to describe this extraordinary love, but the word passive might be a little bit misleading because the extraordinary love that Jesus calls us to here, I hope that you're going to see it takes extraordinary strength and resolve to actively move towards those who have offended you in order to stay in the relationship and to repay evil with good. So Jesus ran through the four scenarios of this extraordinary love repaying evil with good. And I I wish I had more time, but I'm going to give you kind of a quick snapshot of these scenarios. You know, to be slapped on the cheek, um, that wasn't a violent assault. That's not what he's talking about. It was a personal insult. It was to be slapped with the back of the hand. It it was to be treated as an inferior. For someone to come to you and demean you and belittle you and cut you down. And Jesus said, if and when that happens, offer your other cheek. You know, he's saying, stay in the relationship. Move towards that person without any retaliation whatsoever. Move towards that person in love, even if it means you might be insulted again. Repay that evil with the goodness of continuing to offer friendship. The tunic, you know, was an, an inner garment in this culture, and the outer garment was called the cloak, and the cloak in this culture... The cloak in this culture was seen as a person's inalienable right. And you can read about it in Exodus chapter 22. If you borrowed someone's cloak, you had to return it that very evening. You could not take it. No one could take your cloak from you without returning it that day. And Jesus said, you know what? If someone takes takes you to court and takes your tunic, I want you to be so far from clinging to your rights that you repay them with good and you give them your outer cloak too. You know, Roman soldiers were allowed to force others to carry their belongings up to one mile. But it was very strict. No further than one mile. And it was humiliating. And it was shameful treatment when your oppressor made you do this. And Jesus said, you know what? When that happens, I want you to repay evil with good. Go the one mile and then voluntarily carry it another mile. You know, finally, say this quickly, it's so easy for us to be calculated in our giving. You know, we look at that person who's begging, asking for money, and we say, well, that person doesn't deserve it. They're going to misuse my hard-earned money and take advantage of me. And maybe, maybe that'll happen. Because you know what Jesus said? That is not the point. What that person does with your stuff. You're the point. Don't cling to your rights to withhold, but do good and give it away in radical generosity, even if you might be taken advantage of. And here's the question I want to ask. 
When you've been wronged by your acquaintance, your, your boss, or by a business competitor, or someone you thought was your friend, and when you've been mistreated and humiliated, and when you feel that you have been treated as an inferior and maybe socially dismissed and excluded, how do you respond to that? You know, how do you respond when you learn that someone has been gossiping about you and injuring your reputation and maybe casting you in a suspicious light to others? How do you respond? When someone takes from you unjustly the credit you deserved at work, or how do you respond when someone shames or ridicules you? Or how do you respond when, you know, you alter your standard of living to give your wealth away and someone misuses it? How do you respond to, I mean, how do you respond to just someone who hates you? Someone who betrayed your confidence and hurt you? You know what's ordinary? It's to trade insult for insult. What's ordinary is to retaliate. Pay back evil with evil, to get even, to, you know, gossip in turn about that person, to promise you'll never be generous again and get taken advantage of. What's ordinary is to say, I cut that person off, I've labeled them as unsafe, and I just won't deal with them anymore. Or or maybe you just seethe and boil in resentment and bitterness. That's very ordinary. Very ordinary. And we know because that's what comes natural to every single one of us. But extraordinary love, Jesus is saying, it absorbs the hurt and the injury and the backstabbing and even fights to stay in the relationship, offering the other cheek. And what if, you know, what if you could love with that kind of extraordinary love You know, Martin Luther King Jr., writing from a jail cell, called this extraordinary love that Jesus is describing here the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend because, as he put it, this love, this extraordinary love that we're talking about has creative and redemptive power. I don't know if you remember the story about Ken Parker from like five or six years ago. I don't know. I lose track. But Ken was a white supremacist who had attended um, those demonstrations in Charlottesville that turned bloody and violent. And a few months after that, um, a neighbor of his, a guy named William McKinnon, reached out to Ken and invited him to a barbecue in their, I think it was their apartment complex. And, uh, and then William invited him to his church because William McKinnon was an African-American pastor of a small, primarily African-American church. Um, a 70-member church where Ken was only one of three white people in the room. And they moved toward him. 
and offered this white supremacist the other cheek. And so maybe not so surprising, Ken met Jesus there. Because that's the kind of stuff creative and redeeming love has the power to do. And when he was baptized, I think, there, I, think I remember there being some video about this, but I can't remember. When he was baptized, he stood up and he explained how he had been to that 70-member primarily African-American church, how he had been a KKK member and a white supremacist and a neo-Nazi. But through this church and through their extraordinary love, he had come to know and trust in Jesus. And after his testimony, the entire church came up to hug and embrace him and welcomed him into their community. That's the creative and redemptive power of extraordinary love that can transform an enemy to a friend. And what if? You know, what if you loved those who hurt you with an extraordinary love like that that was full of creative and redemptive power? I I don't know. Maybe people would change and come to know Jesus. And maybe our community and maybe our city and maybe our society would even be transformed and we would actually be the salt and light Jesus calls us to be earlier in this sermon. Last little thing here before we move on, and it's a cautionary tale a bit. What if, what if you don't repay evil with good? I'm asking the question, what if you decide I'm going to retaliate? I'm going to get even. And I'm going to nurse bitterness and I'm going to cut people off, right? And I'm going to never move towards those who hurt me. You C.S. Lewis famously, I'm not not going to quote him right here, but C.S. Lewis famously said that, you know, if you cut those people off and you try so hard to not have any unsafe people in your life, right? You can keep your heart safe from being broken, right? In fact, your heart won't be broken. You do that long enough. Instead, it'll be locked up in a casket, he said, where it becomes hardened and unbreakable and impenetrable and irredeemable. And the reason why, to quote Lewis, is that to love it all is to be vulnerable, right? Vulnerability means opening yourself up to the possibility of being wounded. And that is what extraordinary love does. When injured, it doesn't flee and it doesn't retaliate. It moves towards others to repay evil with good, to stay in the relationship and absorb the wounds. You know, ordinary love that pays back wrongs, it will progressively harden your heart. And so we have to become people who love extraordinarily. All right. Second, let's pick up the pace a little bit and talk about extraordinary love's call to indiscriminately show grace. In verse 43, Jesus said, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Here's what happened. They had taken God's command to love their neighbor as a call to love only their fellow Jewish brothers and sisters. And they read into it 
a permission to hate their enemies, the Gentiles, the people who are not like them, the people who didn't share their values. And it was a total distortion of God's Word. And Jesus said the call of extraordinary love is a call to love and show show grace indiscriminately to absolutely everyone. To, To everyone, whether they are like you or not. To show grace not just to your own people, but even to your enemies and to outsiders and to those who persecute you, to those who disagree with you and have wildly different belief systems, to those of other races and social classes, to those who oppose your values, to those who hate you and reject you, you are to show grace indiscriminately to everyone. That's what extraordinary love does, Jesus says. I mean, you can see Jesus' argument pretty clearly. Verse 45, your Father in heaven, he's saying, is indiscriminate in his goodness. Right? He makes his Son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust, not only for those who love and trust him, but for those who hate him and blaspheme him and curse him, and oppose his kingdom, who mock his son, who reject him. He cares for them. He provides for them. He protects them. He feeds them. He meets their needs. He showers upon all of his creation indiscriminately. What theologians often refer to as his common grace to absolutely everyone. And if you keep following Jesus' argument, you see what we talked about at the beginning. If you affirm those who affirm you, he's saying, and if you love those who love you in return, you know, befriend and love only those people who look like you and think like you and believe like you and value what you value, that is ordinary love. Tax collectors are doing that every day. Right? The Gentile, the pagan Gentiles are doing that all day long. But to turn toward your enemies and show them grace upon grace, that's extraordinary love. You know, someone sent me a video this week uh, from a Seattle courtroom in 2003, I think it was. Um, And it was the sentencing of Gary Ridgway, um, who was also known as the Green River Murderer. who pled guilty to killing 48 women. And you know, as I'm watching this video, e- even the way he pled guilty to each and every account, it's it just bone chilling, right? Emotionless, without any remorse at all. And the judge invited hurt and angry family members and relatives to come to the sentencing and they were given a chance to speak to Ridgeway. And they called him an animal and other things and they, you know, unsurprisingly, they expressed their wishes for him to experience a long, painful death in so many words. And the entire time, If you watch this video, you can pull it. 
He just sat there stone-faced. Emotionless. And it's chilling. And then a father of one of the victims stood up and said this. And I wrote it down. I said, Mr. Ridgeway, there are people here who hate you. But I'm not one of them. You've made it difficult to live up to what I believe. And that's what God says to do. And that's to forgive you. You are forgiven, sir. He'd gone through all those other accounts, stone-faced. And in that moment, he cracked. I mean, his lips started to quiver. His expressionless face cracked. And tears started to stream down his face. And he had to take his glasses off to wipe his eyes. Uncommon, extraordinary love. Extending indiscriminately grace to an enemy. For sure. And I know that's an extreme story. Hope you're never in that position. But if it's possible in the extreme. Wouldn't it be possible in your life in other ways? How are you showing grace indiscriminately to others in your life who reject you? Who completely disagree with you politically and morally and who oppose you and offend you? That's what extraordinary love does. It shows grace indiscriminately even to enemies. Okay, before we leave this point, Jesus mentioned at least two practical ways for us to show grace indiscriminately to our enemies. Here they are. He says, pray for them in verse 44. And he says, greet them in verse 47. Pray for them. You pray for those you care for, don't you? You pray for your family. You pray for your friends. You you pray for your children, for your spouse, your parents, your church, your, your friends. And Jesus says care about your enemies too. Do not write them off. Pray for them. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who knew a thing or two about loving his enemies in very hard places, wrote, through the medium of prayer, we go to our enemy and stand by his side and plead for him to God. You know, I think, I think it was the author John Stott who wrote that prayer for our enemies is both an expression of love and a means for increasing it. You want to learn how to love your enemies. Pray for them and plead for them before the Lord of grace and show them grace indiscriminately. All right, second, greet them, verse 47. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? You know, greeting in this culture was far more than exchanging pleasantries and a what's up and how's it going and a handshake. Right, greeting in this culture for, for a Jew was to greet, to greet someone you would say shalom to your fellow Jewish brothers and sisters. And shalom meant flourishing and wholeness of life and peace and delight and it meant every need satisfied and it meant life thriving in every way that's what shalom is 
And therefore, to say shalom to someone was to express that that's what you wanted for them, that that's what you hoped for them, that that is what you were committed to for that person. And so Jesus was saying, we are called to show grace indiscriminately by being committed to the entire well-being of everyone, even our enemies. To seek the good and flourishing and whole life of not just those who are like us and believe like us and, and affirm what we affirm, but everyone, even our enemies. All right, two practical ways. We end with that. Pray and greet. Finally, and last, how to answer Jesus' call to extraordinary love. You know, this is Everybody, all the commentators will, will rightly say that this is kind of this is the high point of this section uh, in Jesus's Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus wants here, I think, to bring us face to face with our inability to do this. Right? You absolutely. I hope you know this. You cannot love like this. In your own strength. Impossible. Responding to insult after insult with good, overflowing in generosity to those who misuse you and take advantage of you, extending grace to everyone indiscriminately, even your worst enemies, that takes something beyond ordinary love that we don't possess in our natural selves. Extraordinary love is what I'm saying. It is the result of a supernatural work of God's grace in your heart. Do you remember where we started? Um, We started with me asking this question, what if? What if extraordinary love like we've been talking about today, what if it actually existed? And you know the whole message of the Bible is to say extraordinary love like that It does indeed exist. And it is at the heart of the universe because it is in the heart of God Himself. And it's interesting, you know, all throughout this section of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, all these antitheses, right? You have heard that it was said, but I say unto you, all, all that section, not once in this section does Jesus ever refer to God as our Father, until we get here. And He calls God our Father not once, but twice in this passage. And I think He wants you to think about something. How is it that God becomes your Father and you His child in whom He delights? I'll give you a hint. It's not because you were good Paul put it this way in Romans 5. God shows His love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, while you were opposed to God, while you hated Him and rejected Him, right? Christ came and died for you. And if that's not clear enough, just two verses later, and this ought to connect to what we're saying here today. Paul says this, for if while we were enemies, 
we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. In extraordinary love, Jesus came and repaid our evil with good and showed us grace, extraordinary grace for enemies like us. He reconciled us to our Father through His death. You know, there's this, that interesting verse that closes this section and it seems a little frightening at first. Verse 48, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. I don't think Jesus is saying, none of us can be morally perfect. But I think Jesus is saying this, He's saying, I am not calling you to do anything that I, the Lord of the universe, haven't already done first and for you. He's saying, watch how you, what your father is doing. See how he loves with extraordinary love and love like that. Become like him. Did he love you with extraordinary love? Do you remember the story of his death? How when he was mocked and insulted, he didn't retaliate, even open his mouth. How when he was struck, he took it and absorbed the pain. How he gave his cheeks to those who pulled out his beard and hid not his face from disgrace and spitting. Do you remember the story? How he was stripped of both tunic and cloak and crucified naked. Do you remember the story how he was forced to carry the very worst bit of, human, of Roman equipment on his back? The cross. And he carried it to the place of his own execution. And from the cross, do you remember this? How he prayed for his enemies and sought their well-being even as they were killing him. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's what he did for you. When you were his enemy, he loved you with an extraordinary love. And, and here's what I'm saying. The only way to answer this call to extraordinary love is to first receive His extraordinary love for you. To rest in Jesus' love. That's not a work of common grace. That's the result of His unique, special grace and extraordinary love and to quote one of the characters in Frozen I can't remember who only an act of true love can thaw a frozen heart and when you take Jesus extravagant extraordinary love into your heart through Jesus his love will indeed begin to thaw your heart that's the supernatural work of grace and as your heart begins to thaw more and more, you start becoming like your Father. 
and to resemble Him as His children by loving others extraordinarily. Because your heart is set free in joy by His love for you because you have an identity as His dearly loved child that is untouchable and hid with God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, there's no need for retaliation or payback or, or, or need to protect your reputation or stand on, uh, upon your rights or, or even fear those who are your enemies and persecute you. You're set free of all of that to repay evil with good and to show grace indiscriminately to everyone. Will you ever do it perfectly in this life? No. But more and more, as His extraordinary love sinks deeper into your heart, you will become those who love with extraordinary love, which I do hope you realize and understand is exactly what's needed in a hard, broken, messy, and evil world like us, ours. What's needed is love with creative and redemptive power like this. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your word today. Um, Lord, we thank you for the ways in which your word confronts us with our sin, with our lack of love, with our ordinary love, and also challenge us, challenges us and calls us to something beyond to extraordinary love, to the same kind of love that you loved us with, that you loved us when we were still enemies and sent Christ to die in our place. And Father, we pray that this good news of your extraordinary love for us in Jesus would indeed be sunk deeper and deeper into our hearts in order that it would begin to change us more and more to be like our Father in heaven. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Thank you for listening to this audio sermon of South Baton Rouge Presbyterian Church. Please feel free to pass it along to others who might be encouraged by this message. Also, if you have any questions or would like to know more about the church or a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, please feel free to browse our website at www.sbrpc.org or contact the church office directly at area code 225-768-9999. Again, thank you for listening.